Well, this is the morning that we are introducing Michael as our worship arts pastor, and so I thought it would be appropriate to preach a sermon based on some of the Psalms. And so the text this morning is Psalm 148 through 150. They're the last three Psalms in the Psalter, the book of Psalms, which you know was like the Jewish hymn book that they used in the temple beginning back in Solomon's day. David wrote a lot of the Psalms. The last five Psalms begin with the phrase, the commandment, praise the Lord. And they end with the same commandment, praise the Lord. In Hebrew, uh, hallelujah. Psalm 148, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights. Praise him all his angels, praise him all his hosts. Praise him sun and moon, praise him all you shining stars. Praise him you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He fixed their bounds which cannot be passed or pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth you sea monsters and all the deeps, fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind fulfilling his command. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees, and all cedars, I think that cotton was probably two, but all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and women alike, old and young together, let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and heaven. He raises up a horn, a strength, a power for his people. Praise for all his faithful, for the people of Israel who are close to him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the faithful. Let Israel be glad in its maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with victory. Let the faithful exult in glory and let them sing for joy on their couches. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters and their nobles with chains of iron, to execute on them the judgment decreed. This is glory for all his faithful ones. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his surpassing greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipes. Praise him with clanging cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, But to me, I'm getting the feeling that the psalmist wants us to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And you know, to the modern American mind, that's probably kind of a bizarre concept, like a foreign language. And so I think we naturally ask, well, what exactly does it mean to praise the Lord? What is praise? What is worship? People think of ancient cathedrals, right? Complex liturgies with King James English. Or, or maybe when you think of praise the Lord, you think of strange people on the television set. So, so what is praise? What is worship? I, I don't know if you've seen this uh, floating around on the internet. Uh, someone sent it to me this week. But I think this is a pretty good example 
of worship. Hello, my name is Debbie. Um, this is my first attempt oops, um, at a eHarmony video. So I'm just gonna start talking about what I like and hope I get some replies. Um, so I am a recent um, MBA grad from Villanova. Um, I love cats. Um, I just, sorry, I'm getting emotional. I love cats. Um, I love every kind of cat. Sorry, I just, I really love cats. And I just want to hug all of them, but I can't because it's crazy. I can't hug every cat. <laughs> but I just want to. I want to. I want to. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I get, anytime I hear cat, I just, I love cats. Um, ooh, I promise myself I wouldn't cry. Um, so anyway, I am a cat lover, um, and I love to run. I'm sorry, I'm thinking about cats again. I just, I think about how many don't have a home and how I should have them and how cute they are and their ears and the whiskers and the nose. I just love them and I want them and I want them in a basket and I want little bow ties. <laughs> I want them to be on a rainbow and just in my bed and I just want a house full of them and I just want to still roll around. <laughs> I can't. I, I can't. <laughs> she likes cats. <laughs> Debbie, Debbie likes cats. I think she probably meditates on cats. I think she'd like to sing a song about cats and maybe meet some other people that, that like. I think she'd kind of like to become a cat. And there's nothing wrong with cats or loving cats. But I think she's kind of starting to, to worship cats. And it's not just cats. I mean, I could have shown you uh, a video of rabid football fans at a football game. Or I could have shown you a video of screaming fans at a rock concert or people at the Democratic National Convention or Republican National Convention. I could have shown you a video of a, a man buying a $100,000 sports car that he'd never drive or a woman shopping for a pair of shoes when she already has a closet just full of them or a crack addict breaking into a liquor store to steal some money to, to buy some more crack. I'm just saying we all worship something. In fact, it may be what makes us human worship. We're born worshipers. So in the Bible, the problem isn't that nobody worships or nobody praises. The problem is that they, we, worship the wrong things. Romans 125 describes humanity. Paul writes, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator 
That's called idolatry, worshiping a, a created thing. I, I, idolatry divides, depletes, and desecrates. It's fascinating that Debbie is making an eHarmony.com uh, video, a, a dating video, but she may have a hard time finding harmony <laughs> or, or a husband because few will want to serve her idols and, and they will probably have different idols like cleanliness or, or dogs. <laughs> And so idolatry divides, or depletes, and, and desecrate. And we become what we worship. And Debbie seems to be something of a, of a cat herself already. We become what we worship, and then we kill what we worship. That is, idols kill us, even as we kill idols. So if you worship alcohol, it'll kill you, as you kill alcohol, a gift from God the Father, fruit of the vine. If you worship sex, it'll kill you. As uh, you kill sex, an incredibly profound and deep and meaningful ecstatic gift from God. If you worship your husband or wife, it'll kill you and you'll kill them. So Debbie may be the least dangerous kind of idolater on eHarmony.com because most aren't looking for cats to idolize. They're looking for men to idolize. And men are looking for women to idolize. See, some brides are going to turn some grooms into idols. And then they will consume those idols. I mean, there's going to be some bodies broken and some blood shed. Somebody's going to get crucified on eHarmony.com. Believe me. Now, let me say, I'm not picking on women who love cats. I did some research and it turns out that Debbie is probably an actress acting, okay, but she's doing a good job of it, imitating, imitating us. So I'm not picking on Debbie or, or women who love cats or guys who love sports cars or women who love shoes or, or singles on eHarmony.com. I'm picking on all of us, why? Because we're all sinners. In other words, we're all idolaters, desperately looking for something to praise. Cats, dogs, football teams, cars, leaders, Obama, Romney, we're all idolaters, worshiping the wrong things in the wrong way. An idolater worships a created thing in order to really praise themselves. It's about the self. So the psalmist cries out, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And, and it's ironic because worship really isn't about us. It's not about us. And yet worship, true worship, unites us, empowers us, and creates us. You know, all Israel would come to the sanctuary, to the temple and worship. And, and the worship was to create unity. Idolatry creates uniformity. Everybody must become a cat person or a Republican, or a Democrat, or a Presbyterian, or a Lutheran. But true worship creates unity, the way a song creates a dance, a dance in which no two dancers or their dance are exactly the same, and yet they are all unified by one, one, one rhythm, one reason, one logos, like a, like a word of, of, of God. And each unique. So true worship unites and empowers, empower. did you catch 
149, verse six. The psalmist says, let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands. Remember how the Israelites sang and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down? Do you remember how the Israelites would place the choir in front of the army as they would march into battle? Do you remember how David, uh, David would play music in front of King Saul and the evil spirit would flee from him? Do you remember the verse we read earlier this summer about, or this spring, whatever, about Elisha calling for a musician and then as the musician played, then he would prophesy. Remember how Paul and Silas were beaten and chained in stocks in the Philippian prison, but they began to worship in the prison, in the stocks, in the dark. They began to sing songs and hymns, praising God, worshiping, and as they worshiped, the earth began to quake and the doors flew open and that is how the gospel invaded the continent of Europe. Psalm 149, verse six, let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands. I, I think, see, I think high praise is a sword. And the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. A two-edged sword in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations. Isaiah 63, vengeance is, is re redemption, God's, God's vengeance. Two-edged sword in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment or correction on the peoples to bind the kings. Verse nine, to execute on them the judgment decreed. Well, what is the judgment decreed? We just read it in Psalm 148, verse 11. Praise the Lord, kings of the earth and all peoples. That's a command. That's a decree from God. So we go to battle with worship that all would be set free to worship. Worship unites, empowers, and creates. In, in the new and finished creation, Re Revelation 5, every created thing worships. And we are not fully created until we freely and fully worship. All creation will worship or even now worships. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. And we just read this. Praise him, sun. Praise him, moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. And then it says, let them praise the Lord. Let them, let them, let them. Let them. I read that this week and I, and I, I kept thinking, God, is, am I like not letting the shining stars praise you somehow? Well, maybe creation praises and I just can't see it. Or maybe I actually keep all creation from praising praising the Lord somehow. Paul, write, Paul wrote this, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of glory to be set, to be set free from its bondage to decay. And remember we said idols kill us and we kill idols. How do we do that? Well, we try to own them, we try to possess them, we try to get all the kittens in our basket. We try to control and possess all, create. it's almost like Humanity was to care for creation, but we fell into idolatry, and now all creation is imprisoned in futility until we begin to worship. Whatever the case, we are not fully created, and our world is not fully created, until we, the sons and daughters of Adam, praise the Lord. And let all creation praise the Lord even cats. 
So you see, I don't think that you can love cats too much. The problem is loving the creator of cats too little. Well, anyway, true worship unites, empowers, and creates all things. Everything is to be worshiped. That's why we hold worship services, to help idolaters worship the Lord. It's the same reason married couples have a date night. It helps unfaithful hearts remain faithful, but they're to be faithful all the time, just like we're to worship all the time, and so we come here each week and have a worship service. And so the psalmist writes this, Psalm 150, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. What are we called? Oh yeah, sanctuary. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his surpassing greatness. What's that? His surpassing greatness, verse three. Praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with lute and harp, praise him with tambourine and dance, praise him with stringed and pipe, praise him with clanging cymbals, praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Now, we don't have trumpets that I know of. And I don't even know what a lute is. I think it's probably like some kind of flute or something. And, and, and we don't have any, any harps. But we do have guitars and drums and synthesizers. And so every week we, we have a, a worship service and we wanna have a good one, dang it. So under your seat, um, there's a piece of paper and uh, if there's not one in your seat, there should be one near you. But I want you to pull that out along with a pencil, a writing utensil, you need this because uh, I want you to fill it out, okay? Um, Let's read it, I have a copy right here. It is our worship service evaluation form. In your mind, answer each question, then rank the answer on a scale of one to 10 with 10 signifying responses, most positive in that particular area and one signifying response that indicates this area needs the most improvement, okay? So you're to fill this out at the end of the service, but, but I want you to just follow along now. Um, uh, let's read the questions. Did people greet me and make me feel welcome? Okay, and then, then you rate it. Um, two, did strange people invade my private space? Okay, did the sermon have any meat? Was the sermon too hard to follow? Was the message simple? K-I-S, keep it simple, stupid. Uh, Next, was the message simplistic? Did the sermon have a practical application for my everyday life? Was the sermon some sort of self-help formula? Was the pastor's apparel overdone or pietistic? Did the pastor dress like a slob? Did the pastor yell at me? Was the pastor's presentation dispassionate or boring? Was the morning prayer spontaneous, heartfelt, and in my language? Did the morning prayer express a proper degree of intention and reverence? Were the announcements worshipful? Did they disguise the announcements as worship? Did they arrogantly assume that I should give to their ministry? Did they have the courage to call their people to sacrifice with giving? Did I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit? Were they just into feelings? Did I see manifestations of the Holy Spirit? Did they seek signs? An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. Was the music too loud? Was the music too soft? Did they sing songs that I know? Did they sing new songs or just old songs? Was the worship traditional? Was the worship contemporary? Were the musicians accomplished? Were they just into performing a show? Was the worship leader too trendy? Was the worship leader too stuffy? Did the worship leader have tattoos? Did the worship leader have tattoos? (laughs) 
is the worship leader as good as the old worship leader? Why are all the pastors losing their hair? And then you can write some criteria in, and then the granddaddy of them all that really sums them up is, was I fed? Was I fed? Now, for decades, as a pastor and as a parishioner at the end of every service, in my mind, I've been filling out this worship service evaluation form in, in some form. And I thought, hey, maybe everybody should fill it out, not just me. But I do have this question. If we scored a perfect 390 on every worship service form evaluation sheet, would that mean that we had just produced a good worship service? Would that mean that we had just served worship to our Father in heaven? Would that mean that we had praised the Lord? You know, Emil Durkheim was uh, one of the fathers of modern sociology. Around the turn of the century, he uh, wanted to investigate this phenomenon of religion. And so he studied the Aborigines in Australia and Native Americans in the Pacific Northwest. He noticed that particular tribes and particular societies valued particular traits which they desired to affirm and instill in their members. And he postulated that over time they would associate certain traits with certain animals called totems, totems. Uh, my tribe, Heritage High School, had a totem. It was an eagle. And so at every football game, soccer game, sporting events, the cheerleaders would all lead us all in a cheer, a chant. We would sing together, we are the eagles, the mighty, mighty eagles. We are the eagles, or something, something like that. that. That was our totem. Uh, my kids were all Bear Creek Bears. Now one is a roadrunner, two are rams, and one is just itching to be a buffalo. If you're an American, your totem is, is the bald ego, eagle. If, you, if you're Debbie, the, the cat girl, your totem is, is probably a cat. Well, Durkheim postulated that over time, these totems were lifted up and worshiped as gods. In the Pacific Northwest, he noticed that they placed their totems on trees. Uh, that's where we get the term totem pole, totem pole. The totem on the tree is the deity. Well, if the deity is nothing but an animal that symbolically incarnates the collective values of the tribe, it follows that in worshiping such a deity, the tribe is really worshiping itself. Durkheim postulated that all religion is totemic. And I think scripture would agree with him to a point. All human religion is totemic. All idolatry is Totemic. In other words, it's a way in which we worship our own values and our own preferences, a sneaky way in which we go about worshiping ourselves. And now that kind of raises some interesting questions about my worship service evaluation form, doesn't it? Because you know, most of those questions have to do with my values, my preferences, what pleases me. So when I say, wow, that was an awesome worship service, I'm actually worshiping the worship service. Because the worship service 
served me as if I was being served worship rather than serving worship, as if it's, if it's all about me and that's idolatry. And then, and then, whether I judge it good or bad, it's bad. It's a particularly insidious form of idolatry. I mean, maybe I shouldn't have shown you that video of the cat lady. Maybe I should have shown you a video of me. Last week, I messed up a line in the sermon. And I obsessed on the sermon. Went back, watched the video of, of the sermon. I obsessed on the sermon. I couldn't let go of the sermon. And so the sermon, you see, was no longer worship. I couldn't give it up as a gift. And you see, I think it's important that I give my best to the Lord, that I work on it, that I give my, my best to the Lord. But when I obsess about the gift I gave, I don't give it. I hang on to it. And I suspect that I'm not worshiping the Lord. I'm worshiping me, worshiping the Lord. And that's not worshiping the Lord. That's using the worship of the Lord to worship me. And don't get me wrong. I, I do think that there is a time and a place and a manner in which um, the board, the staff, the worship band, and all of us should ask the questions on the worship service evaluation form. I mean, we need to ask, is it too loud, is it too soft, what's best for everybody, what helps everybody, we need to ask the questions on the worship service evaluation form. But if we think our worship is dependent on affirmative answers to the questions on this form, we're clueless. And we're idolaters. The psalmist doesn't say praise the praise band. He says praise the Lord. And he doesn't say praise the Lord if the lute sounds really good and the harp is in tune. I mean, sure, tune, tune the, dang, the dang harp, but praise the Lord no matter what. I mean, I've heard people say this. Pastor, after you shared that story in your sermon, I just could not worship. And I want to say, wow, you really stink at worship. <laughs> But they're not the only one. I mean, I, I've said this. I've said this to, to the guys. I said, guys, the music was so loud, I just couldn't worship. That's like saying I took my wife out to dinner and I just couldn't love her because, uh, you know, the chicken was too dry and the waitress was ugly. <laughs> right? It's, it, it's like the bride saying to her groom, I just can't adore you unless you take me to a five-star restaurant. Bride of Christ, do we hear what we're saying? You know, Paul and Silas sang in worship, beaten, imprisoned, in stocks. No lute, no harp. Probably off key because their lips were swollen from being beaten. They sang, they worshiped, and you know, I think the Lord thought that was a pretty good worship service. And I think his all-time favorite service of worship was when a fellow sang him a song, naked, beaten, nailed to a tree, planted in the very pit of hell. And the first line of the song went like this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's number 22 in the Jewish hymnal, Psalm number 22. And then Jesus cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's 
worship. Rick Joyner says he had a vision of Jesus. It's all recorded in his book, The Call. But in this vision, he, he saw God the Father somehow and God the Son, Jesus, standing next to him. And they were watching some little worship service somewhere, some little prayer service on some dark corner of this planet, just a few people struggling through a service. And as they watched these people in this room worship, Joyner says he saw the Father um, just quake as he watched worship. And uh, he uh, heard Jesus um, say this as the Father began to weep with joy. He heard Jesus say this, this is why I went to the cross. Giving my father joy for just one moment would have been worth it all. Your worship can cause him joy every day. Your worship, when you are in the midst of difficulties, touches him even more than all the worship of heaven. Here, where his glory is seen, the angels cannot help but to worship. When you worship without seeing his glory in the midst of your trials, that is worship in spirit and in truth. The Father seeks such to be his worshipers. Do not waste your trials. Worship the Father, not for what you will receive, but to bring him joy. You will never be stronger than when you bring him joy, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Psalm 148, verse four, the, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. We serve worship to our Father to give Him pleasure. Speaking as a father, let me tell you what has really given me pleasure. It's the songs and the dances of my children when they were preschoolers. We have them recorded on tapes and we keep those in the closet in a special box. My favorite sermon is a bunch of scribbles on a piece of paper. One night, about 20 years ago, man, I was just struggling with the sermon like I usually do, and Elizabeth saw me, and she went over and worked really, really hard, and then brought me this sermon, scribbled out on a piece of paper to help me. It's illegible. <laughs> There's no way it would get a passing grade in the homiletics class at Fuller Theological Seminary, and yet it's my favorite. I keep it in a file up there in the corner in my office. My favorite sermon of all time. My favorite offering is a $20 bill that my daughter gave me on vacation to help me pay for a speeding ticket. <laughs> and it was, like, it was like all of her money that she had saved up for vacation in California. And check this out, I didn't need the $20. I didn't spend the $20. And so you see, it wasn't important in the way that she thought it would be important. It was far more important. To me, that $20 bill is priceless. It also is up in my office in a file in my drawer. I keep it as treasure. You see, God the Father has your artwork on his refrigerator. And maybe you were disappointed because you hoped that your artwork would be in the local museum, but it's on his refrigerator. He keeps your scribbles in the bottom of his sock drawer. 
Not because they are so valuable, but because you are so valuable and you gave them to him. And so the psalmist writes, praise the Lord. Praise him with trumpet, praise him with lute, praise him with harp, praise him with tambourines and dance. That is, uh, praise the Lord with whatever you got. Do you got scribbles? Praise him with that. Can you glue dried macaroni to construction paper? Praise him with that. Praise him with all that you've got. But you see, if, if my kids gave me scribbles now, or dried macaroni now glued to construction paper, I'd be disappointed. Why? Because it's not all they've got. So I think the psalmist is saying, praise him with scribbles, praise him with macaroni dioramas, praise him with song and dance, praise him with well-tuned guitars, praise him with synthesizers and well-crafted sermons, and praise him with well-run businesses and big offerings, praise him with great music, praise him with all you've got. But if it's not praise, all you've got is nothing. Actually, it's less than nothing. It's idolatry. Idolatry that divides, depletes, and desecrates. So would you do this for me? Would you take out your worship service evaluation form that you just uh, were prepared to fill out and uh, would you take your pencil and would you put a big X through all of these questions, okay? Just at the top. We're, we're kind of rewriting the worship service evaluation form right now. And then uh, down at the bottom, I want you to write a new question. Question number 40, which is really question number one and only, and the question is this. Okay, so you're ready to write it because you're gonna write it on the sheet and keep it. Did I serve God my worship? <laughs> In other words, did I praise the Lord? Because the psalmist writes, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, over and over and over again. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, it's a commandment. Do you ever wonder why God demands all this praise. Is it because he's kind of insecure? You ever thought that? Or maybe he's kind of self-centered. It's all about him. It's all about him. <laughs> you know, when my kids were little, I longed for their worship. But I don't think it was because of my insecurities. I think it was because of my love for them. And I don't think it was because I wanted it to be all about me. In fact, I think it was because I wanted it to be all about them. Make it all about them. See, I knew that they would worship something. They would follow something. And for their sakes, I wanted it to be me. Why? Because I was the one that love them, I would die for them. And so their delight in me unified our family, empowered their lives, and created them in my image. And now they don't worship me, <laughs> which, is, which is really a good thing, but they honor me. And I pray that they would worship their Father in heaven, but, but I hope you get my point. Why does God demand all of our worship? Because he loves us, and worship unites us with his family. 
empowers us with his spirit and creates us in his image and it is his pleasure to create us in his own image. I mean, maybe it's not about you precisely because it's all about you. Because maybe you are most satisfied when God is most glorified because you have to lose your life in order to find it. Have you ever tried to lose your life? Ironically, I think that's what everyone wants. I think that's what idolaters want, to lose themselves in alcohol, sex, cats, work, school, even religion, lose themselves and find themselves a part of something greater than themselves. And it seems to work, doesn't it, for a night or a season. But in the end, you haven't lost yourself because what you were worshiping wasn't really greater than yourself. It probably was yourself. And you know that you can't lose yourself with yourself. And I know you've tried, haven't you? Because at some point you felt insecure or you felt ashamed about something or guilty uh, about something and you've said to yourself, self, stop thinking about yourself. Stop thinking about yourself. And so what do you do? You think about yourself's inability to forget yourself. See, maybe our greatest need is to forget our needs. In other words, our greatest need is to worship. But if I just tell you, worship, dang it, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, will that really help you worship? I mean, even if you spend uh, the whole uh, sermon asking yourself question number 40 on the worship service evaluation form, am I worshiping, am I worshiping, am I praising the Lord now, am I worshiping now, am I worshiping, I mean, you wouldn't be worshiping, not the Lord. You're worshiping your service of, of worship. You're worshiping yourself trying to, to worship. I mean, if you're thinking about your dance steps, you're not really dancing, right? Not yet. You have to lose yourself in the music to find yourself dancing. You can only lose yourself in something greater than yourself, and the only thing greater than yourself is the Lord and the music in his heart, his word. So the psalmist writes, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But you see, probably, maybe, maybe, they had not yet seen the Lord. You know, God destroyed that old temple. Do you know why he destroyed that old temple with the lutes and the harps and the golden basins and the high priests and all that stuff? Because Israel did not praise the Lord, worship the Lord. I mean, they had great-looking worship services, but nobody worshiped. Through the prophets, God said, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. I hate your feasts. I despise your solemn assemblies. 
Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But maybe they hadn't yet seen the Lord. Maybe they had seen his mighty deeds, as the psalmist says, but maybe they had not yet seen his surpassing greatness. Maybe they had not yet seen his heart, the the Father's heart. Jesus, from the bosom of the Father, he has made him known, wrote John the Apostle. And so maybe creation and fall and the command to praise the Lord and the covenant and that stone temple, maybe it's like all a stage for the revelation of the Lord's surpassing greatness. So great, so great that the greatness might just sweep us off our feet and set us to dancing. You know, so that we can't stand still. We, we have to dance. In the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi prophesies saying, behold, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. But who can stand when he appears? Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand? 500 years later, the Lord did suddenly come to his temple saying, destroy it, and I will rebuild it in three days. And and you know the story. We loved the temple, (laughs) and we didn't love him. We love the giant stones and the priests and the chairs and the choirs and the trumpets and the lutes and the, and the harps. We, we love the worship service, but we didn't serve worship to him. And yet, we did idolize him. I mean, we, we tried to worship him like we worship cats and cars and politicians and pop stars. Massive, massive crowds met him at the city great gate chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna, and just five days later, the crowd was chanting, crucify, crucify. We kill our idolized. We, we idolized him. We, we tried to control him and use his mighty deeds, use his mighty deeds for our purposes, and we called it saving us, but we wanted to be saved in the way we wanted to be saved. We tried to make him in our image so we wouldn't be made in his image. We tried to make him into one of our totems. In fact, we nailed him to a tree, a totem pole. And he led us. For there, As planned from the foundation of the world, he ambushed us with his surpassing greatness, relentless love. And there he offered up his spirit, the spirit of worship. And 50 days later on Pentecost, the spirit fell on a new and living sanctuary and they all began to worship and the worship was a gift and the worship um, united them like dancers are united to a common song and uh, empowered them for it was in fact his spirit within them and they themselves became a new creation. See, you can't really make with human power, you can't really make worship happen, but but God is making it happen as we wait on him and, and look to him. 
And so I wanna say, I, I really do hope that you use that last question on this sheet this year, at the end of the worship service evaluation sheet that you ask yourself, um, did I serve worship to the Lord? But if the answer is no, don't beat yourself up. Don't blame the worship band. Don't blame the pastor. Don't simply try harder. <clears throat> Confess it and look to the Lord. Look to the Lord. Call on the Lord. Behold the Lord. And then you are already beginning to worship in spirit and in truth. And so use the band. Use the prayers. Use the sermon. Uh, to help you worship, to meditate on the Lord. Use all of these things to help you behold the Lord, but behold the Lord. Call on the Lord. Behold, behold the Lord. For on the night that we handed him over, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body. Hey, do you remember question number 39 on the worship service evaluation form? Was I fed? Was I fed? What are we doing when we ask that question? Better yet, what is God doing when he answers it? He's good. He took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body. Take it, eat it. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me, surpassing greatness. And so he calls you his sanctuary to come to the table and uh, surrender um, surrender your worship. Uh, receive his grace and uh, serve him the worship he deserves. You are most satisfied when he is most glorified. He's your father. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel and worship. Tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. The dark cups are wine, the, the light cups are juice. Uh, take the life of Jesus. Put it in the sanctuary and worship. Amen. And check it out. We got a lute. Is that a lute, right, Kathy? Kind of like a lute. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But anyway, that's why we come here, to, to praise the Lord. And uh, I ended with this, look to the Lord, look to the Lord and, and praise the Lord, look to the Lord. And so I just wanna be real specific about what I mean by that because sometimes I really have trouble getting into worship and praising the Lord. Usually because I'm asking myself, are people praising the Lord? And then I go, oh yeah, I'm not praising the Lord. I'm thinking about everybody else praising the Lord. And so this is what I try to do. I, I think about his mighty deeds. You know, he's the creator. So uh, you go out on a, this afternoon, the sun's shining down, you think, what a beautiful day. Don't worship the sun. Worship the one who made the sun. 
You walk out in the night on a moonlit night, and the moon, the moon is just, it's just beautiful. Don't worship the moon. Worship the one who made the moon. And then you know what happens? You somehow, super, you set the moon free to be what the moon is meant to be, an instrument, praising and glorifying God. And so I think about his mighty deeds, and sometimes, I don't know, that doesn't really even do it for me. And then I, I try to think about his surpassing greatness. And, and what is the surpassing greatness? I, I wanted to preach on all the last five psalms, but it was too much. And let me just read this one from Psalm 146. It says, praise the Lord, and then it says, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down, the Lord watches over the strangers, the Lord upholds the, upholds the orphans and the widows. And when I read that, I thought, well, God, why do they ever have to be blind in the first place? Well, why do they have to be strangers and outcasts in the first place? Oh, why do you have to have widows in the first place? And as soon as I asked the question, I knew the answer. So I could watch as he gives sight to the blind. So, it's a good, so I could watch as he lifts up those who are bowed down. Uh, so I could, could watch as he comforts the widow and shows her that he is her groom. So I could watch uh, his exceeding, his surpassing greatness. You know, um, people don't get crucified in heaven. <laughs> they get crucified here on earth. Because here on earth, on earth, God shows and God tells and God exhibits his surpassing greatness, the story of redemption. So why the bad? So God can show you the good. And forever and ever and ever you can worship in faith, hope, and love. Those things are eternal. They don't pass away. This old world passes away. There's this stage passes away, but that remains. And so check this out. I think most people in this world tend to think that this world is about a test to see if you're good enough for the kingdom of heaven. I think a more accurate uh, term for this world is that this entire world is a call to worship (laughs) so you can join the kingdom of heaven. And so come to worship every Sunday and praise the Lord. Think about his mighty deeds. Thank him for that. And then think about his surpassing greatness. Think about your darkness, your shame, your struggles. And then look to the Lord. For he descended into this place to cover you with grace and make you in his image. That's his surpassing greatness. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel and worship. Amen.